Hello, you're listening to a Medieval Madness podcast. To see the accompanying visuals, please check out our YouTube channel. Cheers! In today's episode, we're going to be looking at Lindisfarne in 793, and those who came from the land of the ice and snow. Welcome to Medieval Madness. The first few months of 793 was a worrying time for the north of England. Great portents of impending disaster were seen across the heavens. On Lindisfarne, the monks had to suspend their evening prayers when an astonishing sight was observed in the night sky. Fiery dragons were supposedly seen flying through the air, followed by sheets of lightning that rippled out in huge arcs before piercing the ground with giant forks. Just a few weeks later, the dragons returned, but now they were on the front of the Viking longboats, and so began an era of great violence and bloodshed. It seems strange that it should begin on the sacred and holy island of Lindisfarne. It wasn't their first attack. The Northmen had been pillaging in their homelands for years, and had made minor raids in England before the assault on Lindisfarne. They began small, using two or three ships, testing the opposition of the locals, and choosing places that were remote and close to the sea. They were clever and chose not to raid the rich trading ports such as Southampton. Populations were denser there, so there was more chance of opposition from the people, and they were well guarded. What was better than the monasteries, such as those in Northumbria, like Lindisfarne, Iona, and Jarrow? Undefended, wealthy, and isolated. During this period, England was divided into four major kingdoms, and three smaller ones. The Kingdom of Northumbria was very powerful. Sitting in the centre of Britain, it had the Scots and Picts to the north, and the Anglo-Saxons to the south. In the northern regions especially, there had been a cultural awakening during the 8th century. Architecture, metalwork, sculpture, and painting had all blossomed. The great illuminated gospels were written during this time, such as the Book of Kells and the Lindisfarne Gospels. Historians even refer to the era as the Northern Renaissance, a whole 600 years before the Italian one. Christianity had arrived in Britain early in the 3rd century. Religious houses were built all over England, and by the 7th century, monasteries had become incredibly prosperous, Lindisfarne especially. It had royal patronage from the Northumbrian king, and an unrivalled collection of relics, including the remains of St. Cuthbert, who became abbot there, as well as St. Columba, who was responsible for taking Christianity to Scotland. The monastery had been founded by St. Aidan in 634, who became bishop there. He was followed by St. Finian, who built a timber church. With all of this rich religious history, it's not surprising that the island became a major pilgrimage site. the sea walls. On the 8th of June, 793, both the church and the wider monastic site of Holy Island was attacked by what were described as wretched heathen men. One monk wrote that, quote, Pagans from the northern regions came with a naval force to Britain like stinging hornets, and spread on all sides like fearful wolves, robbed, tore, and slaughtered. There may have been a lot of coinage brought in from the pilgrims, so there was plenty of portable wealth that could be taken. There would have been lavish covers from gospel books, reliquaries that were containers for holding holy relics, often studded with precious stones, bishops' personal symbols of office such as gold crosses and crossiers, and precious vestments adorned with gold and silver. 
Lindisfarne was a huge settlement, and probably housed many families that had come to the Holy Island to find work. Yes, the Vikings had been around for a while and made raids before, but this was such a vicious and shocking attack at the heart of Western Christendom that it shook and alarmed the whole of Europe. The English scholar Alcuin of York, who was residing at Charlemagne's court in the Frankish Kingdom, wrote letters to Higbald, the Bishop of Lindisfarne, and to Ethelred, the King of Northumbria. He saw the event as an unprecedented catastrophe, saying, quote, Never before has such a terror appeared in Britain, as we have now suffered from a pagan race. The heathens poured out the blood of saints around the altar and trampled on the bodies of saints in the temple of God, like dung in the streets. Behold, the church of St. Cuthbert splattered with the blood of the priests of God, despoiled of all its ornaments. A place more venerable in all of Britain is given as prey to the pagan peoples. Arriving on the beach dressed in these skins of bears and wolves with their long hair and beards, long swords and axes covered in strange runic symbols, the Vikings must have been a terrifying sight. Swarming over the settlement, they took everything they could carry. They ripped reliquaries apart and threw the contents onto the ground. They smashed up the altars and ripped down any tapestries that adorned the chapel walls. They killed some of the brothers. They were either hacked down or dragged onto the beach and drowned in the sea. They drove other monks out naked and even took some of the people away with them as slaves. It should be noted that all of the evidence available from the raid that day comes from historical sources. There is no archaeological proof that the attack happened at all. Although the Vikings were cultured, they had no written history, no literature, meaning that all of our contemporary information regarding the Vikings comes from sources outside of their society. They did have a runic alphabet, but no literature, and by the time that the Great Icelandic Sagas were written, over 400 years had passed. The Conquest of England over the next 300 years, the Northmen raided the rivers and coasts of Europe, causing death and destruction wherever they went. An abbey on the north coast of France, named St. Vast, had a prayer included in its daily chant, asking God to deliver them, quote, from the savage race of Northmen, which lays waste to our realms. A sentiment that was shared by a lot of the known world, from Vinland in the west to Constantinople in the east, and Paris in the south. Lindisfarne had been stuffed full of goodies, used in religious ceremonies, and completely undefended. It had been a very profitable day, a day that showed the Vikings and their willing comrades back at home in Scandinavia that treasure, slaves, and glory could be found across the sea in England. How many more of these monasteries were there with such rich and easy pickings? The Northmen that invaded Lindisfarne were probably from Norway, even though the English referred to them as Danes. As the Viking Age progressed and they began to make settlements, there were so many of them in Britain that the English referred to all Scandinavians as Danes. They were frightening because nothing was known about them. They were an alien race, worshipping their pagan god Odin. They did not recognise the sanctity of the Christian church. They would attack with brutal ferocity. There were even tales of them continuing to fight with their bare hands after being disarmed and ripping out their enemies' throats with their teeth. They hailed from a cold and inhospitable place that even the long fingers of the Roman Empire had never touched. Although Denmark has quite a favourable climate, the lands that are now the modern-day countries of Sweden and Norway have more harsh conditions. They both had small populations, and the winters were long and severe, especially in Norway. Perhaps this is why they chose to travel south and make settlements. 
the land in Britain was far easier to farm, and the weather was much less extreme. Jarls, Karls, and Thralls. For the next 200 years, the Norsemen terrorized northern Europe, leaving many coastal cities abandoned. Then they went on to carve out settlements. They founded the city of Dublin in Ireland, seized York, and overran London. They raided the Moroccan coast in North Africa, and captured the Spanish city of Seville from the Muslims. The Vikings had a social structure of three tiers. At the top were the Jarls, the wealthy landowners, then the Karls, who were the free peasants, followed by the Thralls, the slave workers who had the lowest status. The Northmen took thousands of men, women, and children to sell as slaves when out raiding. Slavery was an important part of their lives. In the 11th century, Viking Dublin became the largest slave market in Western Europe. Thralls that were captured both in Ireland and elsewhere were sold there and taken to the Islamic markets or sold to the Baltic states. Those captured were classified by strength, size, or characteristics, such as woman from over the great sea, or foreigner who do not know English. By the end of the Viking Age, so many slaves had been taken back to Norway that they made up 10% of the population. The Vikings established trade routes all over the world, the amount of territory under their control being as large as the Roman Empire once was. They traded in Baghdad, Constantinople, Jerusalem, all along the Caspian Sea and the Silk Road. At the Byzantine church of Hagia Sophia, in what is now modern-day Istanbul, Viking graffiti can be found. Dating from the 9th century, the two runic inscriptions are cut into the stone. It is thought that one reads, Halfdan carved these runes. The ancient equivalent of Halfdan was ear. The other is simply a signature which reads, Ani. Their innovative longships were perfect for both warfare and exploration at sea and on inland rivers. The lack of a keel meant that the ships could negotiate even the shallowest of waters. They were quick too, which made them lethal when it came to raiding. Iona was another monastic island off the coast of Scotland. It too was raided several times by the Vikings. The first raid just two years after Lindisfarne in 795. In the 806 attack, 68 monks were massacred there at what became known as Martyr's Bay. After more raids, the community moved inland to Kells in Ireland, where they thought they would be safer. But the Vikings were able to negotiate what is now called the River Boyne, and hit them there too. In 2006, a Viking longboat was discovered on the Boyne riverbed at the port of Drogheda, not far from Kells. Rollo the Walker Northern France became one of their main targets for their pillaging, until the Frankish King Charles the Simple agreed to a treaty with the Viking leader Jarl Rollo in the 10th century. Known as Rollo the Walker, he was said to be so substantial in size that the horses were unable to carry him, so he had to go everywhere on foot. Rollo and his people were given the city of Rouen and its surrounding lands. This area became known as Normandy from the word for Northmen. Rollo's descendant, William the Duke of Normandy, defeated Harold Godwinson, the last of the Anglo-Saxon kings, at the Battle of Hastings in 1066, and became William I of England. The Viking Age seemed to end as quickly as it had begun. Europe had stronger defences and more centralised governments. Some of the monasteries that were once easily attacked had moved further inland and away from the rivers. 
Some of the Vikings might even have converted to Christianity and believed that raiding and the enslaving of other people was a violation of God's law. Whatever the reason was, the Viking Age had come to an end. The attack on Lindisfarne had begun an era that reshaped not only the culture of Britain, but also that of mainland Europe. Thank you for watching this episode of Medieval Madness. I do hope you've learned a thing or two, and please do subscribe if you enjoyed the video as we do release one every Friday. Hope you all have a great week. Cheers!